Okay, don't be afraid. The book of Revelation is not designed to scare you. It's designed to give you hope. It's all about hope. It's all about discipleship. But most importantly, it is all about Jesus Christ. So we are so excited to offer these sermons on the book of Revelation. We hope you enjoy them. I was telling Sabrina before, as the service was getting started, for some reason today, I'm, I'm really anxious, and I don't know why. Um, I deal with anxiety from time to time, and it's like all ramped up right now, and I, I don't know why. So I just tell you that to say if I seem weird, or like weirder than normal, um, that's why um, it's going to be very ironic when we get to the end of this message, why this is uh, strange for me right now. But I will say, Andrew, your flowered shirt, and Marcus, your new pink base, really helping to calm me down. So... <laughs> Um, So good job. All right, so let's read. Uh, Let's read some selections from Revelation 21 and 22. Let's see what God has to say to us today. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy And true, and then we skip ahead to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then on to chapter 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign with him forever and ever. Y'all, they lived happily ever after pales in comparison to the way this story ends. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Father, uh, we trust that you are present every time your scriptures are read. We pray that you would guide our minds, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. That your Holy Spirit would take this word, would take this gospel, this good news, and implant it in us. Make it a part of who we are. So that we can go out into the world and live in a way as if all of that that we just read is true that we can go out into the world and live in a way that anticipates that incredible glory that we know is waiting for us in the end. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen. So I shared this with you when this whole series began back in like 2003. Um, (laughs) Revelation is not about the end of the world. It is the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. That's first. Second, it's a call to faithful discipleship of Jesus as we live in the midst of a world that is falling apart. It's a book that's full of mystery. It has all this strange coded language, but it's not a puzzle that's waiting to be solved. Instead, it's this amazing creative way of pulling back the curtain and revealing to us God's glorious reality. And it does it in a way that compels us to live a certain way even now. You see, what we have to wrestle with is if these sections from Revelation 21 and 22, if that's really the direction that this world is headed, if this is really where it's going, then every thought or word or deed in any other direction is out of touch with reality. And it's a waste of time and breath and energy. One author says it like this. He says, <laughs> this is a commentator on Revelation, and his name is actually Eugene Boring. Yeah. Uh, it says, Revelation was not written to answer our speculative questions about the future. It is a gift that helps us reorient this life in the present. So last week, we looked at the things that we will find when we are fully present in God's reality. But today, I want to look at the things that will be no more. That's what we're calling this last sermon in the series on Revelation, no more. (laughs) After today, no more Revelation. Um, But I think that the most powerful language in Revelation 21 and 22, it describes what's not there. It describes what is no more, the things that will pass away with this broken world. So let's look at a few of the things that are no more in the end, and then we'll ask as we always do, so what? So first, there was no longer any sea. Now that doesn't mean that there's no longer any water or bodies of water. We read about a river flowing down the middle of the street. But the sea in particular was symbolic of chaos throughout human history. Really, until we develop the ability to explore the oceans, radar that can help us see beneath the surface of the water, until then, the sea has always been a symbol of chaos and death. In the first throne room scene that was all the way back in Revelation 4 and 5, it told us that the sea before the throne was like a sea of glass. That chaos was calm. It was still. Here in the end, that chaos, that fear, it's gone. It is no more. No more chaos and fear. Second, there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And y'all, this is the verse. We read it at memorial services. We read it at the bedside of those who are sick, who are passing away. This is the one that brings us so much comfort as we go through the pain and suffering and the tears of this life. And we know that this world is full of suffering. We know that this world, for all of us, will end in the death of this broken body. And what's amazing about our story, it tells us that ours is a God who doesn't watch us suffer and die from some far off place. He knows it. The story we're going to tell this week, he knows our suffering. He knows our death. And he overcame it. 
In Jesus's victory over suffering and death, he declared once and for all, no more. No more. Third, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Think back to the temples of the Old Testament, the first one, the the beautiful one that was built later, the one that was destroyed in 66 AD. Now, there are some perspectives, there are some teachers that argue that that ancient temple in Jerusalem, that it has to be rebuilt before Jesus will return. They even go so far as to say it has to be rebuilt because the Jews have to begin doing sacrifices in the temple again before Jesus will return. And they use certain passages from the Old Testament. I believe they're taken out of context, but they use them to make that case. Yo, I just read to you what happens when Jesus returns. What does it say? There's no more temple. Now look, this might seem like a minor point. And I want to be careful. I don't mean to be dismissive of what people have been taught. I don't want to demean anybody who believes this. But there is a danger Because a radical belief in this will lead to terrible things. One, any belief that says we have to rebuild a temple to restart the sacrificial system, guess what that ignores? That was the final sacrifice. No more sacrifices. We don't need a place to do that. But more than that, on the site of the old temple in Jerusalem right now sits the Dome of the Rock the holy shrine of the Muslim faith. So you tell me, what would have to happen for the temple to be rebuilt on that site? And did we read anything in Revelation? Have you read anywhere in the New Testament? Have you ever heard Jesus say that we have to engage in an all-out war with one religion in particular so that we can complete a building project? That he simply refuses to come back until we build him a palace? What is the story that Beth just told us? Jesus said that he has gone to prepare a place for us. He didn't command us to prepare a place for him before he'll even consider coming back. What we believe about the future impacts the way we live today. This might be a minor thing until it's not. We have to be very careful that we don't create systems about Jesus and who he is and what he's going to do that might lead us far away from the actual Jesus. Did you know these palm branches that are on the table? Did you know that on Palm Sunday, when they grabbed these branches from the trees and they waved them as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, historians tell us that some of the people waving those palm branches were likely hiding swords behind them because they had come to believe that Jesus was going to be a radical revolutionary, that he was going to start a war and he was going to take Jerusalem back from Rome. Were they right? In only seven days, they'd find out how radically wrong they were. We have to be careful that we don't create systems that might end up blinding us from who Jesus is and what he's actually doing. There is no more temple because wherever God and the lamb are, they are the temple. They are the place where God and his people meet. That temple was always temporary. Being present with God and the lamb, that is forever. All right, fourth, we're going to talk about the sun and the moon in a few minutes. But notice, just for now, it says that there's no more need for the sun or the moon. Because it makes it clear there will be no night. Nothing impure will ever enter the holy city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. 
Just like the sea, the night is a symbol of disorder and chaos and fear. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we went to Gulf Shores. And Anna was really brave on, I guess, like Monday night and said, hey, it's like nine o'clock at night. Let's go walk on the beach and look for crabs. It's awesome. Let's do it. So we take our phone, flashlights, we go walk on the beach. I've never heard that girl scream. And I've known her for 13 years and I've heard her scream. She screamed bloody murder every time the tiniest little crab came out from the darkness and found its way into the light of our flashlights. And y'all, she wasn't the only one. Have you ever been on the beach at like nine or 10 at night when there's a lot of crabs? It is like constant screaming. Constant. I think the crabs are in on it. I think they know that we're not going to hurt them. They're, they know we're terrified of them and they just run around our feet just to watch us freak out. I don't know. But there is something terrifying about you have this little spot of light and you don't know what's around it, right? Until all of a sudden you see something run across it. That's kind of terrifying. Sometimes um, I enjoy watching mindless movies and documentaries about things that are scary. It's fun to be a little scared sometimes. But I'm a 45-year-old man. And when I watch stuff like that, and if I'm at home by myself at night, I get a little scared. <laughs> My soul's not settled. We know this about the dark. Are you more comfortable, whether it's walking the city streets or through the middle of the forest, are you more comfortable during the day or at night? Lies, deception, all the creepy things that hide in the darkness. In God's future, no more. And that gets personal. My brokenness, my lies, my deception, the darkness in me, Revelation says that's the stuff that will be left behind. Darkness, fear, our brokenness, it will not follow us into eternity because God has declared no more. Fifth, there will no longer be any curse. And this no more. This is the good news that creation has longed for since the Garden of Eden. Think about the scope of scripture. We have 66 books, 1,189 chapters, more than 31,000 verses, and about 800,000 words depending on your English translation. And the vast majority of it speaks about living this life in the midst of a broken world. And it tries to orient us back toward the life that God intends. But it talks about life lived in the midst of this curse that we brought upon ourselves in the garden. And the good news is that this story doesn't end back in the garden where we're waiting just to rebel again. It ends in a holy city and the curse is no more. There is no cycle of salvation and sin that just keeps repeating itself over and over. History does not repeat itself. It has a beginning and it has an end. In God's eternal reality, no more. The curse has no hold on me. Death has lost its sting. Now, one more quickly before we get to the so what today. And, and this one, I'm making an inference. I'm taking what is a positive and turning it into a negative. Uh, it says in the text that they will see his face, that we will see God's face. And what this means is no more backside. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to this from Exodus 33. Moses and the Lord are having a talk. Moses says, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. He goes on to say, but you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. 
And then he continues, he says, there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Moses came face to backside with God because no one could see God face to face and live. His holiness was simply too much for a broken human to bear. Until now, no more, no more separation of any kind between us and God. We will be with him, worshiping him, reigning with him, seeing him, looking at him face to face forever. You know, that's just a summary of some of the no mores that we found at least in the section we read this morning. And it is all just the best news ever. I mean, honestly, no more chaos, no more death, no more suffering, no more mourning, no more darkness, no more curse, no more separation of any kind between us and God. I told you, they lived happily ever after pales in comparison to this. But I want to end with this, because we could read that and, and say, so what? Because most of these no mores are things that only Jesus can do. They're things that will only be experienced when Jesus returns until there is no more chaos and suffering and death. We know there will continue to be chaos and suffering and death. So the conversation in our Revelation class this past Wednesday night, it led to what I think is really hopeful and practical for us here and now, a very particular thing that we can do. Uh, I mentioned this earlier from verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it its light and the lamb is its lamp. So I want you to think about our existence for a second. We live in time. We live on a line. We live in the present. We remember the past and we think about the future. And that time, the way we measure it is by the sun. According to Revelation 21 and 22, we no longer need the sun in the day of the Lord. The measure of our days, time as we know it, is no more because we will simply be present with the Lord. Now, to understand why I think this is so hopeful and encouraging for us today, I want to describe to you a day from my perspective. And honestly, today is one of them. I'm guilty of... Not never, but not always living in the present. The reality is the present is barely even a thing, to be honest. As soon as it's the present, one second later it's become the past, right? The present is this fleeting thing that we can never really grasp a hold of. And when I reflect on the reality of my days, most of my time is spent reflecting on the past and thinking about the future. And if I'm honest, when I'm left to my fear and to my doubt, too much of my time is spent in regret over the things that I've done in the past that I can't undo and in fear and anxiety over a future that I can't control. And y'all, doesn't that just sum up the brokenness of human life? Isn't that part of the curse that we live this existence in regret about things that we can't change and anxiety about things that we can't control? Jesus knows this about us. He talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He addresses this fear and anxiety. He reminds us the transformative power of forgiveness. He says, forgive one another as a way of practicing it. 
If you have forgiven them, you have forgotten what they did. Now when I forgive you, you can do the same. Let it go and move on. He taught us about how useless it is to worry because God is in control, you're not. Here in Revelation 21 and 22, we find that this experience of time, this back and forth, it too will be no more. A day is coming when we will just be. We will be present with the Lord. No more regret or shame over a past we can't change. No more anxiety or fear about a future that's out of our control. When God's eternal reality descends upon us in all of its glory, we will just be present with the Lord forever. The trick is, I think we get glimpses of this even now. Have you, have you ever lost track of time? Like you were so focused on what you were doing, you were so enjoying what you were doing, that what seemed like minutes really was hours? I ask people this a lot, and I'm actually surprised a lot of people respond that they lose time when they're gardening or if they're building something or like working with their hands. It's really interesting to me that humans would lose time and enjoy things like gardening and working with their hands, almost like we were created to do that. So things like gardening, working with animals. We went to the zoo in Alabama and at small zoos, I love small zoos because there's barely any barrier between you and the animals. You know what I mean? Like there was a, I mean, a, a tiny fence between us and the lion and she screamed at us for like 30 minutes and it like, it was intense. But we got to go inside a cage with a sloth. It's kind of cool. We were there for like 30 minutes and it felt like two. It's a silly little thing. But just being with part of God's creation that you're not normally with, you lose track of time. Building, creating, playing with our kids or our grandkids, getting lost in music, art, a good movie, a great meal with friends over an old bottle of wine. I mean, have you ever just lost time doing things that you love? Now, I'm not saying that these things are equivalent to the goodness and the glory of God's eternal reality. I'm certain that they pale in comparison. But I wonder if they at least give us a glimpse at what life can be like when we're not living in regret over a past we cannot change and anxiety about a future that we cannot control. Y'all, the most joyful, humble, loving people I know are Christ followers who are learning how to just be. Just be present in the moment. Trusting in God's forgiveness of the past and his provision for the future. And we should learn from our mistakes and we can make reasonable plans for our future. But at the end of the day, the most peaceful people I know are learning how to just be. Be present with the Lord. My grandmother was one of those people. And I know I've mentioned her a lot in this series. Um, it's on purpose. Uh, this book reminds me of her for a number of reasons. Um, but I want you to hear, parents and grandparents, I bring her up a lot because I want you to hear that the first disciple maker in my life, no offense to Beth or Travis or to myself, the first disciple maker in my life wasn't a children's minister, wasn't a youth minister, and wasn't a senior pastor. It was a member of my family. It was my grandmother. 
That woman's faithful witness to Jesus is a huge reason I'm here today, not just as a pastor, but as a man who is saved by grace through faith. And what I know about her, she was biblically literate. Doesn't mean she was a Bible scholar. She didn't know anything. After I went to seminary, I realized how wrong she was about a bunch of stuff. (laughs) But she read her Bible every day. She was spiritually formed. She prayed every day. She centered her heart and her mind on Jesus. She was mission-focused and gospel-fluent. She loved and served others and shared the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone who would listen. And I, have to, I don't know if I've told you, for the last 18 years of her life, she did that from the couch or from her bed because she was sick and basically immobile. And she probably got more done for the kingdom from those positions than many people do in their lifetime. And because I had the privilege of witnessing all that, at least in my experience of her life, she didn't live in regret over the past. She didn't live with anxiety about the future. She had peace. And right now she's with Jesus and that peace has been made complete. She wasn't perfect, I guess. (laughs) But I know Christ was in her and working through her. I know because of the fruit of her life. She was a disciple of Jesus and she began the work of making a disciple out of me. And what I know about her story and my own is that it doesn't happen overnight. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and it transforms us day by day. But I believe that that is happening and I believe that we can find peace more and more even now as we anticipate being eternally present with the Lord. The Holy Spirit's working on me Like literally, I told you, like literally right now, (laughs) the Holy Spirit's working on this in me. This year has made this very difficult. This year has made all of this even harder than I ever remember. So I fail all the time. But the Holy Spirit is working on me. So imagine a life with no more regret over a past that we can't change, no more fear and anxiety over a future that we can't control. We have to wait on Jesus to deal with the chaos of suffering and death. But for now, there are people around us who can point us in the right direction. And the Holy Spirit is promised to be within us, to lead us, to show us the way to real peace, to real life, to being present with God even now, present with one another as we wait till that king finally descends and makes his permanent throne in each of our hearts. So y'all, that's it. Um, That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I've been telling you for weeks, I love this letter. I hope that the time that we've spent with it has comforted you. I hope it's challenged you. I hope that in the midst of all the chaos around us that you have been able to find hope and encouragement in it. But most importantly, This has been my prayer every week since we started this series. I hope that you have found Jesus. I hope that you know and love him more. I hope that you have a deeper appreciation for how completely known you are. For how completely loved you are. Again, you are not loved by him because of anything you have done. You are not loved by him because you deserve his love. You are loved by him because he chooses to love you. Glory to God in the highest, and come Lord Jesus.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of scripture that we just have the privilege and the honor to talk about here all the time. Father, thank you for people in our lives that bring that scripture and that truth to life. We pray that you would continue to form us into a people that would put that truth on display for others. That we would not keep it to ourselves, but that we would boldly proclaim to a lost world the good news of your love and mercy, the salvation they can find in you. So God, continue to give us courage and comfort and hope in the midst of some really difficult times when the unexpected seems to pop up each and every day. Remind us that you're in control, you're in charge. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.